If you turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5, we'll pick up in verse 6, and a very important message. Um, what do you really know? What do you really know about your salvation that you have in Christ Jesus that's come to you by grace and through faith? What is it that we know? When we use the word know, uh, in your Bibles, generally speaking, if it's know or knowledge, uh, the root of that is gnosis or gnosko. It simply means to understand. It, it is you fully understanding something. And I will tell you before you mention uh, any other thing, we are a people, not just here in America, but people, humankind, have a deep desire to know things. It's one of the reasons that people go and see mediums, they go read their horoscope, they have their lucky rabbit's foot, I, you know, I want to know that my team's going to win, that type of thing. We want to know. And in fact, when you go to school, I presume that most of you believe that you're going so that you will end up knowing some truth. Amen? And in those textbooks that you've read, if you're here, and it looks like most of you have graduated from high school, I believe, uh, if you have graduated from high school, then you took, no doubt, civics, you took history, and in those textbooks, you studied subject matter that when you finished the study, you were supposed to know about history. So you know about Abraham Lincoln. You, you know about George Washington. You know about our system of government. You, you know a lot of things because you studied it. But here's the problem with that type of knowledge versus the type of knowledge that's contained within your Bible. There is not a single person in this room who knows anybody who's ever written a book about any subject matter, whether it's history or science, that's willing to say, you know what, I'm going to put my life on the line for what I'm about to write. That when I write my historical rendering of the life of Abraham Lincoln, that I'm willing to die to write this book. Nobody is going to do that. And yet the sum and the total, especially of the New, New Testament authors, all wrote the books that they wrote, the Gospel of John, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Luke, Paul's epistles. He ends up in prison. He gives his life for the testimony of what he wrote about Jesus Christ, he could have renounced that testimony and said, I was just kidding. And he would have been spared. And so the truth that's contained within your Bible has cost people their lives to write it. What do you really know about your relationship with the Lord Jesus? We're going to pick up in verse 6 and let's pray and ask God to speak to us through his word. Father, Father in heaven, we ask that you'd speak into our lives your truth. Lord, we thank you for the word that speaks so loud, so clear, encourages us in our faith. And we pray from heaven that you'd reach down to this room right now and convince and convict people of sin and of righteousness of the truth of the good news of the gospel message. Lord, the power of God unto salvation through believing in the name of your only begotten Son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come and inhabit this place. Lord, our very lives, we who believe in you, you are in us. And so, Lord, speak to us. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 6 here in 1 John chapter 5. For this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And so John opens up this passage. He says, you know, there's been testimony, and that testimony actually came from heaven, and that testimony was God the Father about his son, Jesus Christ. He's referring to two events. One, the baptism of Jesus. And if you read Matthew's gospel, the account there, it's actually recorded in all four of the gospels. But in Matthew's gospel, in chapter three, Jesus has come to meet John the Baptist at the river Jordan to be baptized. And while Jesus is in the water, an audible voice from heaven says, behold, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God speaks that what Jesus was doing met with God's approval from heaven. Couldn't be the same person because Jesus didn't say anything. But God testified. Secondarily, the blood of Jesus Christ. All the way back to the book of Leviticus, without the shedding of blood, there was no remission of sin. That was God's requirement. And God said when Jesus died on Calvary's cross, God spoke from heaven and said, these things I approve of. And in order to testify of that, you have an earthquake, you have darkness over the land, and you have the veil in the temple rent from top to bottom. God says, this is the real deal. John now goes on and says, it is the spirit who bears witness because the spirit is truth. And so the spirit of God bearing witness of these things, according to what Peter would write to the church, he says, look, the Bible wasn't authored by men, and I'm paraphrasing what Peter said. So the Bible was authored by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit spoke to men. They wrote down what the Holy Spirit said to them. These things that you have testified of, the truth that's in your Bible, was not authored by the human authors. It was authored by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wrote those words. The humans, in this case, John, wrote down in this letter what the Holy Spirit said to him. And so you would expect if something came from God himself, the Holy Spirit, that it would be 100% truth, amen? God wouldn't mess with us. He wouldn't intentionally deceive us. And so God sends the word to us. The spirit bears witness because the spirit is truth. What did Jesus say about himself? He said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the father but by me. John recorded that in chapter 14, verse six of his gospel. And so as Jesus said that, he's actually saying, look, if Jesus is God and Jesus did accept praise as God and God the Father declares that he is God and now the Spirit is declaring that that truth is truth, if Jesus is God and Jesus is truth, if the Holy Spirit is truth, then the Holy Spirit is God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all three of them 
God. Notice what follows next, verse 7. For where there are three that bear witness in heaven, and then they're named the Father, the Word, who's that referring to? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who is that? It's Jesus. Jesus is God. That's the plain declaration of the gospel message that God incarnate, Jesus, man and God, simultaneously, 100% both, died on Calvary's cross for your sin. Jesus is God. And notice who's bearing witness, all three, and the Holy Spirit, these three are one. You see, people often say, well, the Trinity's not found in the Bible. Well, it's true the word Trinity is not found in the Bible. It just simply says these three are one, which is a trinity. These three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth. The Spirit, that would be the Holy Spirit. The water, that would be God the Father at Jesus' baptism. And the blood which came from Jesus, that would be all three members of the trinity. The three that are one all testify of the same message. The message of the Bible, the message of this amazing book that was authored over a period of time of nearly 1,500 years, that was written by 40 different authors comprising 66 different books, cannot be a book that was written by men. And here's why we know that. Because within it, there are specific circumstances, situations, characteristics, places and names about a man who had come into existence, in David's case, a thousand years later, as David pens the Psalms and says, the grave will not be able to hold Messiah, speaking of the resurrection, he did so 1,000 years before Jesus set foot on this earth. When Jesus' birthplace was named by Micah as being Bethlehem of Epaphra, he did so 600 years before Jesus set foot on the earth. The reason these things are important, as the prophet Isaiah says, that the chastisement for our peace would be placed on him. The reason that these things are so important, that he would be bruised for our iniquity, that he would be beaten for my sin, the reason that's important is the Dead Sea Scrolls contain not one, not two, but five full copies of the book of Isaiah, all dated to 200 BC. That would be before Jesus got here. So the Bible as truth has information in it that can't come from this earth because it talks about things in the future and then is proven to be 100% accurate insofar as we've reached that place in history. So all of those things that were said about Messiah that had to do with his birth, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, every last one of them was proven to be true. That's because God's word is true. It's truth internally itself it testifies of that truth by giving pieces of information that no human being could come up with it's real knowledge it's real truth and it comes from outside of our space and time because it comes from god these three testify as one if we receive notice this verse nine the witness of men If you read a a Prentice history book, 
and you agree that George Washington was a historical figure, there is less evidence for the historicity of George Washington than there is for Jesus Christ. And yet, out of hand, you believe that George Washington was our first president. Amen? But there's been nothing told about George Washington before he lived. There's no history of George Washington before he was born. Nobody predicted where he would be born. Nobody predicted how he would die. Nobody predicted what price would be paid for him. But all those things are true about Jesus as found in the Bible. And so if you believe the truth out of your history books, why would you ever doubt the truth that's contained within your Bible when the substance of its truth is far more verifiable? Because the people who wrote the Bible all paid for what they wrote with their lives. No history book author is going to go, you know, if, if it's true, you can kill me. Yet the gospel authors did that very thing. They died for their testimony. If you receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, you think? For this witness is the witness of God, which he has testified of his son. The reason that the Bible was ever authored, and we're not just talking about the New Testament, we're talking about the whole Bible, Old Testament and New, Genesis to Revelation, the reason it was written is so that we might know him and have eternal life. We're going to see that at the end of this passage. So Genesis chapter 1, why would you believe John 3.16 if you can't believe Genesis chapter 1? When people ask me, well, why are all those boring genealogies in the Old Testament? Because those boring genealogies map out the genealogy of Jesus Christ from Adam to Jesus. Thousands of years of human history are contained within the genealogies of the Old Testament. And they're for one purpose, for one man, and his name is Jesus. Amen? That's why. It is an integrated message. And it begins in Genesis. It does not start in Matthew's gospel. It begins in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God, amen, created the heavens and the earth. Why is that important? Because scientists, astrophysicists today still have no excuse as for why they cannot explain what they call the Big Bang. They will state it as fact, but they have no facts to back up their fact. Because if you think the entire universe started as a ball of matter, roughly the size of a basketball, and that ball of matter exploded some 13.7 to 9 billion years ago, And then as it exploded, it got more ordered and created all of the mass of the entire universe. Then you got a lot more faith than I do. And yet, that is what people believe as truth. I just simply believe that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and bang, there it was. I don't believe that chemicals organize themselves without the input of both information and energy. 
Why? It's against the laws of physics. My Bible says God simply created it. That would be information and energy. He's both. You see, so the truth of the Bible is God authored these words so that you can know him. He's telling you things about himself. Notice what it says. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. One of the beautiful things of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit now indwells the believer. So the third person of the Trinity actually resides within you as a child of God. Now you may not be able to figure that out physiologically. You're probably wondering, I think that was the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Or it was just dinner. It's not that at all. The Holy Spirit indwells the believer. The same God that created the universe. If he can create the universe from nothing, I'm thinking dwelling in me is no big deal. See, I don't have a problem when I look at Scripture as truth. I simply believe it. But he who does not believe, God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. That testimony is powerful and it is persuasive if one chooses to believe. If one looks at it even objectively, think about how many thousands of people saw Jesus while he was on this earth. Hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions, but certainly hundreds of thousands. And those hundreds of thousands gave testimony, most of them with their life. Can you imagine telling all the people that were on the mount when Jesus fed the 5,000? It didn't happen. You're all deluded. The loaves and fishes didn't go out. The baskets you saw, that wasn't real. Or how about this one? One of my favorites. Mary and Martha get on the phone. They dial up Jesus. Our brother is dying. Jesus, just to prove a point, waits three days in Bethpage. Lazarus dies. Lazarus is in the tomb. Jesus shows up, and their comment to Jesus was, don't go in there, he stinks. That's not, we kind of think he's sick. No, he's dead and he smells, he's in the tomb. So just to bear witness to that, Lazarus walks out. He says, hey, could somebody get me out of these grave clothes? And then if that wasn't enough, guess who follows Jesus into Jerusalem? The former dead guy, whom everybody knew, everybody knew was put in the grave, who people stood outside and said, yep, he was dead, we smelled him. The testimony that Jesus is God is so powerful that people wandered around going, I was there. You can't tell me that that man didn't have a withered hand. You can't tell me that that man was lame and now he walks. You cannot tell me I was there. That's why John says we were eyewitness to his majesty. And there were so many other things that they couldn't write him in the book at the end of his gospel.
because he's not believed the testimony God has given of his son. And this is the testimony that God has given us. Eternal life. And this life is in his son. Amen? He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. It's simple. There's saints and ain'ts. There's ins and outs. There's those who are saved and those who are not. There's believers and unbelievers. There is no middle ground. There's no purgatory. There's not some place that you go to try and get it squared away while you make up your mind. You're either in or you're out of the kingdom of God and it all is based on believing on the only begotten Son of God. That's it. That message is so simple a child can believe it. It's not complex. You don't have to have a degree in theology to be saved. Matter of fact, sometimes I think degrees in theology keep people from getting saved. You get so confused about what is necessary. Look, here's what's necessary. Believe on the only begotten Son of God. That's it. That's the necessary part. If you believe on him, you have life. Notice verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe. What did they do? They believe. Did they go to church? Nope, doesn't say that. They read their Bible. Nope, doesn't say that. Did they ever give? Nope, doesn't say that. You who believe. Now, if you do believe, those other things are going to follow. But you are saved by believing in the only begotten Son of God. That's it. No add-ons. No other steps. The right Jesus, for sure. But you believe in the only begotten Son of God in the name of the Son of God that you may know, notice what it says, that you have eternal life. God wants you to know. And that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. It's all about truth, family. What do we really know? Well, what I really know is Jesus is God. There's a lot of things that people say they know, and I'm not sure they really know. And there are people that complain about all kinds of stuff. There's this huge debate going on right now because we have no autographs. By autograph, I simply mean not the signature of a ball player, but the original documents written by John or the original documents written by Mark or the original document written by Luke. We don't have any of Paul's original letters. You know, they're not stamped. They were not notarized. Nobody has those. And so some people will say, well, we don't really know. We do really know from the internal evidence that this, that we have, that we call the Bible, is so accurately preserved over time, and that the message is not from this world, but from outside of this world, because of the internal evidence and the witness of the Spirit in us, that that people start to debate about things like original language. Well, Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic or, you know, does it go back, was the German translated accurately from the Latin? The answer to those questions is yes. And the reason we know that is the Bible has more pieces of historical manuscript about it than exists for any other piece of ancient literature. It's not one of those books where we had, you know, two partial copies of John's Gospel. As far as the Old Testament is concerned, save the book of Ruth. The Dead Sea Scrolls contain at least a piece, and in many cases, most cases, the entire book. 
And they were, they were written at least by 174, but most of them to 212 BC. So every piece of your Bible has now been looked at from the original language from about 212 BC, if you're talking about the Old Testament. That is a long time before Jesus got here. And so all those pieces of information, that the price on his head would be 30 pieces of silver. I'm pretty sure nobody was running around, you know, instructing John, hey, make sure that you say Judas said, and make sure the high priest only offer 30 pieces of silver, because Zechariah said it'd be 30 pieces of silver. Make sure that they pierce him through, because Zechariah said that's what's going to happen to him. It would be so monumentally complex that nobody could come up with that plan and nobody could track it through history. Unless you're God. And that's exactly what he did. Tracked it all the way through history. John Wesley, his brother Charles, founders of the Methodist Church, speaking kind of on this subject, you know, a guy got upset because he kept talking about Greek and Hebrew and finally he sent him a little note through a mediary Uh, which Charles Wesley sent a letter back in response to He said, the Lord told me to tell you, John, that he has no need for your book learning, not your Hebrew or your Greek. And Wesley answered, he said, thank you. Your letter was beautifully superfluous. However, as I already know, the Lord has no need for my book learning, as you put it. However, although I'd like to speak this to you, not as directed by the Lord, but in my own responsibility, I'd like to say that the Lord does not need your ignorance either. God wants you to know. He wants you to have utter confidence. I know that I am going to heaven. I know. When I read my Bible, I find evidence that I can believe that I have believed in Christ Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I'm going to heaven. I have utter confidence. I don't walk around going, well, I hope so. You know, if I do the right things, there is no one that's saved by works. That's why your Bible says that by the works of the flesh, no one is justified. If you're saved, you're saved by grace through faith, and that's not of yourself. God even gives you the gift of faith so you can believe, so you can be saved. That's how good your God is. That's how much he loves you. Amen? these things that we know look there's three testimonies that that jesus first is god but beyond that we we know that that water and blood that's being referred to here is god the father there in matthew 3 saying this is my beloved son in whom i'm well pleased god the father said this he would go on and speak about his own son there in john chapter 12 he says look I have been glorified. I will be glorified again. My son has done the work. That's why he came. That's what this darkness that the crucifixion was about. That's what the earthquake was about. That's what the torn veil in the temple was about. And that is exactly why the centurion, looking at Jesus, said, surely this is the son of God. Why? Because he was overwhelmed with the information that is right before his eyes. And as he looks at it, he goes, only God can do that. John records these things. Then when you read the book of Revelation, why is John imprisoned on the island of Patmos? 
for the word of God and the testimony of the saints. And he ends up dying there. He gives his life. You, you see, the testimony is clear. But the third, the final witness, and, and we'll spend the rest of our time on this, is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit bears witness. It was the Holy Spirit that descended on Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit rests on Jesus, we have to ask ourselves some questions. What was that witness? What did the Holy Spirit do in the life of Jesus? The Holy Spirit, first and foremost, before we go anywhere with this, was the only person that was present when Jesus was ministering here that's still alive today. Everybody else has been dead for a while. But the Holy Spirit was there. So does the Bible present the case that the Holy Spirit's actually a person that was actually there, an eyewitness to the events? And if it does, and we can prove that the Holy Spirit is a person, which is what we're going to do next... You see, a person is a human being or an individual is considered as a distinct entity, personality, or as an individual. We're going to look at this. A personality is distinctive qualities, characteristics of that said same person that constitutes a person or a personal existence. In other words, for you. You have physical appearance. You have family lineage. You have all kinds of things that are distinct about you being an entity. Your fingerprints, your DNA, all those kind of things. But you also have a personality. You also have thought processes. You have life experiences. So when we talk about you being a person, your personhood is attached to the uniqueness of you. All of us in this room would agree that a person is a person. That's why we believe that it is wrong to destroy a life in the womb because that is an individual person with individual DNA and left to itself will become a distinct functioning human. That's the definition of personhood. So is the Holy Spirit spoken of? Does the Holy Spirit act like? Does the Bible itself, which is truth, declare that the Holy Spirit, who is at the crucifixion of Jesus, is the Holy Spirit a person? Let's look. Let's see what the Bible says. Can the Holy Spirit think for himself? Make his own decisions. Bible seems to indicate not only that the answer to that is yes, but it's emphatically yes. Or in Romans 8, Holy Spirit actually has a mind. Acts chapter 15, the Holy Spirit settles some questions in the early church, the council of Jerusalem. Paul recorded the Holy Spirit is the one who distributes gifts. Doesn't say God the Father, it says the Holy Spirit gives gifts unto men. You see, when you start thinking about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is a person, he's a he. One of the three that you just saw in John's letter here in chapter 5. These three are one, these three are God, and yet a distinct person. The Holy Spirit was there at Jesus' crucifixion. The Holy Spirit forbade some to, to go and preach and teach in certain places in Acts chapter 16. 
Can the Holy Spirit act independently of both God the Father and God the Son, Jesus? The answer again is absolutely yes. Case in point, one that you all know. We already looked at Matthew chapter 3. Jesus is being baptized. What's the next thing that happens to him in chapter 4? He is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. The Holy Spirit sends Jesus to be tempted. Tested, if you will, by Satan. The Holy Spirit anointed Jesus. The Holy Spirit sent Jesus out to preach. The Holy Spirit leads God's people. The Holy Spirit comforts us, as does Jesus. The Holy Spirit strives with us. The Holy Spirit himself convicts us of sin and of righteousness. He can act on his own. In other words, he's not like Yoda using the force. The Holy Spirit is a person. Can the Holy Spirit speak for himself? The answer is absolutely. Acts chapter 21, in reference to normal things that we would say, thus says the Lord, thus says the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can speak for himself. And in fact, your Bible was authored according to 2 Peter chapter chapter 1, or yeah, 2 Peter, um, yes, chapter 1. I keep confusing that with chapter 2 for some reason today. But in chapter 1, it says that all Scripture, all Scripture was authored by the Holy Spirit. Holy men wrote it down. But the author was the Holy Spirit. Speaking for himself, acting for himself, causing men to write down things that weren't from them. They were directly from God. So in that sense, when the Holy Spirit works in Jesus, confirms who he is, speaks about who he is, now you know why those verses 7 and 8 are so important. Because you have God the Father audibly saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. The Father can't be the son because he's saying, this is my son. The Holy Spirit then testifying of that, why do you think it says these three are one? Because they're all God. They're all testifying of God's plan. They're all ministering that truth from before time began. That testimony is true, and you can know that Jesus is God. God the Father says so, God the Son says so, and God the Holy Spirit who is in you says Jesus is God. Hear him. Believe in him. Old Trinity agrees on that principle. And then the Holy Spirit is in you to bear witness to those things. That you have eternal, eternal life. Why, why do you suppose that, that happens when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you just simply know that you know that you know? Anybody in here, when you came to know Jesus, a few things changed after you got saved? Hallelujah, amen? You didn't just like work that up. You know, you just wake up, you know, well, I was an alcoholic yesterday. I'm not today. And yet that happens, doesn't it? That's not an earthly thing. In fact, doctors on this earth say that can't happen. You'll be an alcoholic for the rest of your life. 
There's probably a whole bunch of us in, the, in this room who say, oh, no, that's not true. Because I've actually experienced that. That internal evidence. I know what I know. I know I used to be like this, but I'm not like that anymore. And the only thing I did was give my life to Jesus. You also know things about the universe. Can you imagine? I want you to think on this for a second. You're in the first century. You're in specifically AD 63, maybe up to 66. And you're the Apostle Paul, and you want to write a letter to the church at Colossae. Now, to put that into time for you, there's no microscope, there's no telescope. We think possibly that the earth might even still be flat is a pretty good reasoning in some people's opinions. We have no idea how big the world is. We think that the blanket of stars that's overhead is maybe a few thousand. We got zero idea about the world around us, and we certainly don't know what it's made out of. But Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing, because the Holy Spirit told him so, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth, visible and invisible. Thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created through him and by him. And he is before all things. He's outside of space and time. And in him all things are held together. The Apostle Paul knew nothing about nuclear physics. The Apostle Paul knew nothing about the structure of even basic molecules, much less what makes them up, atoms, what makes them up, protons, neutrons, electrons, quasars, quarks, and all kinds of little subatomic particles. And yet your Bible, written 2,000 years ago, says that the known universe is made out of things that are invisible. I'm pretty sure the Apostle Paul didn't guess at that. God was sending us a message. And that the Jesus he's talking about, who's the creator God... This word testifies of him and that he came so that we might have eternal life. He didn't come so we could just know a bunch of arcane facts. He didn't come so we could just have some information that other people don't have. He came so that we might have life. And so to bear witness of that life, he tells us some stuff that People didn't figure out for another 2,000 years. That to this day, nobody understands what even holds atoms together. Well, we think there's a thing called the God particle. We think there's some type of force that holds atoms together, but we don't really know. Your Bible does, though. It says, by him all things consist, because he's the creator. He's the force that holds everything together. Why is that important? Because God wants you to know that Jesus loves you. The whole book, 
Genesis to Revelation is so that you can know that Jesus loves you. That Jesus died for you. And that by knowing him, you can be saved. Your sins forgiven. Your debt paid. You can know that. And to help you understand how important that is to you and to God. He authored the totality of scripture. So I'm going to tell you a few things about the world before they ever happen. And I'm going to be 100% accurate. I'm going to tell you some things about science that you won't figure out for thousands of years. And I'm going to be 100% accurate. I'm going to tell you that the stars actually sing in the book of Job. And guess what? We figured out they do. Because he loves you. And he wants you to know him. There's some birthmarks. I'm going to ask you to stand while I bring the worship team back out. There are some things that you can know. There are some things that you as a believer do know. When you practice righteousness, you know, before you knew Jesus, you probably didn't do a whole lot of practicing of righteousness. Matter of fact, you probably didn't even care about righteousness. But then all of a sudden you came to know Jesus and righteousness actually mattered to you. That's a sign you know God. And conversely, if you know God, you're actually going to care about sin. Some people will come to me and say, oh, I don't know if I'm saved. I said, do you care about the fact that you sin? Yeah, I hate it. Guess what your Bible says? You won't want to practice sin. That's a birthmark that you're a child of God. Look around this room. Can you think of one thing that would put us all in one place at one time, save the Lord Jesus Christ? The fact that we love the brethren, we love the sisters, we we love each other, that's a sign we're part of the family of God. We love God, we're born of God. We love others, we're born of God. These are all things that you can know. How about those of you that have been delivered from something in your life that used to bind you, that used to have mastery over you, and now you're an overcomer? That's a sign that you're a child of God, amen? Because you couldn't do that before. God wants you to know. Maybe you're here today and you don't know. Church, let's bow our heads and let's just begin to pray. If you're, you're, you know the Lord, just begin to pray. for. Maybe there's somebody today that doesn't know Jesus. But in hearing this, you're going, man, I want to know him. Here's the good news, you can. And he wants to know you. That's you today. You say, man, I've been living my life apart from God, but I want to know God. That's the reason the church exists, is to make him known. Did you know that? To make God known, to make Christ known. And you don't know him today, but you want to know him. I'm just going to ask you, just slip your hand up. I want to pray with you to receive Christ. It's a very simple thing. You're going to invite Jesus. I see that hand in the back. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? You want to know Jesus. I can tell you right now from heaven, he wants to know you. He wants to know you. 
Anyone else? There's another hand in the back. Praise the Lord. See that other hand in the back. Praise God. The Lord of heaven and earth wants to know you personally. He authored scripture to prove that point to you so that you would know it's a reasonable thing to want to know the creator, the one who died in your place on Calvary's cross, the one who shed his blood. I see that hand as well. Anyone else? Praise God. For those who have raised your hands, would you just pray with me? These words need to come from you. I, I can help you. I can give you some to say. But that's just you talking to God. Just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I thank you for dying on Calvary's cross for my sin. Lord, I, I know I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I want to accept you right now as my Savior and my Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sin. Thank you for cleansing me from it. Thank you for the promise of heaven. I believe in you, Lord. Help me to know you more. Help me to walk with you all of my days. Thank you for the free gift of salvation. Pray that you'd write my name in the Lamb's book of life. Thank you, Lord, for saving me today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.